Radio for the Taste Show, High 7025 FM, Friday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 to 9 p.m. Mountain Shut Time. CJ and Bino actually back one more time, and it's, let's just call it bittersweet, but more so sweet than the bitter. Uh, CJ live from Las Vegas, and Bino live from somewhere in Colorado watching LeBron James get beaten back like his hairline or the game at halftime right now. It's it's the third quarter, um, and Kawhi is still getting off in them cheeks like toilet paper. Well, you know, it's still we'll, we'll get a little bit of the NBA talk in during this episode. Uh, before we get into it, let's get the particulars out of the way. Make sure that you follow at For the Taste Show at BK Norris thirteen at Mister Duncan four at High Seven Hundred Two Five. Salute to those guys. And, you know, this week's random, give a a salute and a shout out and a follow to, we're going to say follow the color blue. And it's not because we over here cripping, because salute to all our folks that rock their flags. Just don't be out there killing nobody because we don't need nobody getting shot for no other reason besides something that they trying to put on you. Uh, But, yeah, go follow and at the color blue, because I'm pretty sure if you at blue, it's going to be blue uh matter of fact it is so follow at the color blue i don't know where the hell that came from maybe because everything around me is blue and again ain't got nothing to do with banging salute to corrupt young Gotti, snoop all them but uh, <laughs> oh, follow follow the color blue at blue b-l-u-e or if you want to do like them vape cigarettes b-l-u because i don't smoke cigarettes but yeah follow the color blue however you want to do blue all right, but you know, it has been a, a super hot minute uh, since we've been able to actually get to the people and with good reason, which we will make our, our conversation and move our way through it. But um, first things first, how has life been for you down in your Juarez? Um, it's actually Weblo. Oh, I'm, I'm and... sorry. They all look the same. You know, Weblo, Juarez, America, Southern Colorado. It's been, but it's been uh, light-skinnedly fantastic. This is, the, this is the time of the year where everybody says it's like, oh, it's football weather. But as hoopers know, this is basketball weather. You know, it's it's cold enough outside to realize I don't want to be outside. I'm trying to be inside hooping. So, yeah, that's what I've been up to, working, coaching, hooping, um, and trash talking. So, how about you? You know, uh, like the old Johnny Cash, you know, the man in black, not to be confused with, you know, the good folks that are black. Um, I've been everywhere, man, since the last time that we actually got together on a, on a recording. And... You know, um, salute to all my folks in, in Atlanta and in Richmond, Charleston, um, Pittsburgh, Tucson, Seattle. Uh, we've been moving around a little bit. So, you know, getting some good work done, putting some groundwork on some things uh, professionally and putting together different projects and for different places, but still coming through the, the same quality microphones and, and branding. But, you know, the, the travel season, it's, it's been good. Uh, it's been good busy. As, as they like to say, good busy. So you're bringing in some good activity and some good money and keeping yourself moving around a little bit. It's just, it's been a hell of a journey. It's been tough to be able to make sure that we bring you these culture convos, as we like to call them. But we are back on this Good Friday. This will, this will actually drop. I think it, it makes sense for us to, I'll give you a heads or tails, but we can either start with something that's a little bit on the downside and then talk about something positive, or we can talk about all the funny and silly shit and then finish out with something that's a little bit more somber. Um, it'll still involve sports. So I'm going to let you call this live on the fly let's do downside and then bring it up from there fair enough fair enough you know for anybody that has been on this journey with us for for the taste which has been running now 
over 15 months. Essentially, we've been with you on a weekly basis, bringing you content outside of these last couple of weeks. There's three pillars that For the Taste likes to rock off of. We like to talk a little bit of business, a lot of bullshit, and we definitely love to talk about the sport of boxing. It would be wrong for us as the fans that we are of the sport and for the personal connectivity that we have with people of the sport that have went through something similar to not at least give our respects to the fallen soldier that had the unfortunate mishap of losing his life in a fight a couple of weeks ago. Patrick Day, a New York amateur standout, Golden Gloves champion, had a, a great record. He was the B-side in his fight with Robert Conwell, but uh, unfortunately he lost his life after complications due to a fight that had happened a couple of weeks ago while we were on our hiatus. And side note, the, the term hiatus just makes you sound so much more sophisticated than you just couldn't get together to be able to get somewhere. We, we lost Patrick, you know, due to those complications. And there's a couple pieces about that fight that I don't, I don't want us to miss, but I want to make sure that we give the, the proper respects to it and give it its proper space and breath. First off, Patrick Day loved boxing. A lot of times right. when we hear about fighters that you know lose their lives in the ring, or a lot of times we hear about fighters because they come from hard knock situations, you know, very impoverished situations to where you know fighting truly was their only way to be able to get out. And it wasn't necessarily the times in that same way for Patrick Day. Um, Patrick just loved the sport from the stories that have come out, you know, and giving credit to the Associated Press, to USA Today, because they've all been carrying similar content. Patrick had came from a family, they like to say, that had means, a father that was educated, a mother that, you know, worked in um, high regards and, and a good business and a good job. He just loved to fight. Patrick Day was 27 years old when he was knocked onto the canvas, you know, and he hit his head and it was a double knock. And I'll be honest with you, B, you know, from my own personal histories of when I, I see these kind of injuries happen, that I wanted to get back and watch that fight that Saturday. And I saw that the, the clipping came across that, you know, day, because he was kind of, this fight was buried a little bit on the card. It wasn't a fight that anybody would have actually known about if, unfortunately, this didn't happen. I mean, Conwell's a prospect that's on the lookout, but it wasn't a fight that they were trying to showcase. Once I saw that, that it happened with Patrick, I didn't want to even watch any of that fight card, and I didn't until a couple of days after the fact, and I finally ended up watching the Usyk, uh, Chaz Witherspoon fight, which we'll get to a little bit, you know, as we transition off of this, but I want to make sure we give the proper breath and respects to Patrick. Once he passed, though, it did seem like it made sense to see it just out of respect for that fighter, um, out of respect for the, the gift that he gave to the people and the way that he went out on his shield. One of the toughest things that you can ever say to a fighter is to know when to say when. And in this moment here, we've lost fighters in situations where you think that he might have taken too many blows or that his corner was way too tough for him than they should have been and they should have had more care and concern. From me watching this fight, I didn't see it that way. Uh, he had had a couple of you know tough, grueling fights back-to-back, -back, and this is just one of those moments where the sport ended up having a negative impact um, and a negative hit, and we lost a fighter that was, you know, doing something that he truly loved. And it's just one of the dangers of what they call the hurt business, which is boxing. Right, and and to me, I, I give the ultimate respect to him. You know, also realizing that it's 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 crazy that so many fighters truly do 
put their lives on the line each time they step into the ring. And, you know, they say it and you hear it, but to actually see it is, is something completely different. That's one of those things where I've seen it one time and I never, I have no desire to watch it again. It's, it's right up there with the uh, Kevin Ware leg. It's like I've seen that one time and I don't need to see that ever again in my life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just, uh, I don't know if gut-wrenching is a term, but it's like, man, you know, like you touched on, he comes from a family where he didn't need to fight. He had the spirit to do it. And I mean, you can't get mad because you know that that's, a, a risk, I guess, but it's, it's, it's painful and it sucks. And like viewing one's own mortality through a conscious decision kind of just like makes you shake your head, but it's like, Hey, you know what? RIP. Cause you know, you're in a better place. That's, that's all I can say. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. And, and there's a ripple effect. The, the thought, um, I'm sorry. Cause this is just something that is a little bit challenging, but the thought is typically that when somebody passes that they don't live that death just by themselves, that there's a ripple effect to it. And it'd be no different if, you know, you lost a family member in a car accident, which I hope nobody that's listened to this podcast went through more so when it's in a combat sport or somewhat unexpected, you know, just like a car accident can be Patrick day passed. And just from that, uh, Conwell, who again, he's an up and coming prospect. He is being somebody that was being groomed to become a television friendly fighter. And, you know, of course, he's going to have guilt. You know, he made a post particularly about this, and it was, I never meant for this to happen to you. Conwell wrote, All I ever wanted to do is win. If I could take it all back, I would. No one deserves for this to happen to them. I replay the fight over and over in my head, thinking, What if this never happened, and why did it happen to you? He continued, I thought about quitting boxing, but I know that's not what you would want. Uh, Day's trainer, he closed up his gym, which was one of those community center gyms that that boxing has helped more people than it's harmed. And he couldn't live with that guilt. As he wrote, I can't have anybody else step in that ring in my gym because what I saw happen. So it's it's trickling down Um, the fight community. We've only been two months removed from Maxim Dadashev's passing in, or three months removed from Dadashev's passing in July. I'd say the Dadashev fight compared to the Day Conwell fight, it looked like two different things, you know, and Dadashev was in that fight. It just may have been one of those situations where a round might've passed and, you know, you just knew he wasn't going to get back to the other side. In the, the Day Conwell fight, Day was behind on the cards, but he never looked like he was out of it. And those are the tougher things to know because we don't know what their brains are going through, you know, during that fight. More importantly, yeah. we don't get to know what's going on with their brains when they're training. Right, right. And, and hashtag that, Anthony hmm. Joshua. Yeah, yeah Anthony Joshua. Um, hashtag Duel in the Desert. Or it could be called the cash out or the redemption. I don't know. We'll, we'll come back to that fight later on here because we still got a couple months before that one. That that one's just going to be wild when we get to it. The thing about it with, with day two is the outpouring of fighters that they know what they sign up for. But the overwhelming support and we and I'm going to stand up here now on our platform and say we've given these twins a shit ton of, of jokes We've sometimes talked about their performances in the ring. Whatever you say, you cannot take away from the respect and 
the admiration and just the overall man up um, that I'd say for Jermel Charlo, which was posted that he's willing to take on the funeral service, you know, cost and fees for Patrick Day. And again, this is still a family that did okay, um, that he's willing to do that. And that was one of his sparring partners that he had, and they had a history, you know, coming up together through the the amateur ranks, even though, you know, Day was from New York, um, the Charles from Houston. That's just big in itself. Uh, If there was, if I could ever, you know, be deemed the czar or a a counsel on the ABCs of boxing, I would wish for any fight that has a gate of over $10 million in person or a pay-per-view gate of over 500,000 on average, that one to three percent of that total gate is put to a contingency pool to and it won't be able to to check every fighter but to do enough random testing annually on fighters for mris because you know the fight game is brutal in the ring but unlike where you being a coach where your son who's out there hooping against kids that you know he can school that are a couple years older than him I know that you wouldn't put your kid in the ring with some kids that are a couple years older than him. Uh, no, no. In the practice, it's okay to do that in basketball. In some spaces, it's okay to do it in football, depending on what your position is. Baseball, the same. You get better in practice. But when you practice as a fighter, you've got to take blows. Those are the places right. where you don't know what's happening, where the, the miles have been added onto that fighter's body. So it would be great to be able to have the same way that the WBC and the IBF have came together with certain kind of um, clean boxing type programs, which they only have a sliver of money. They're not getting funded enough. I honestly think, and I'll go out there on that ledge and say it, I think one goes with the other. Between the weight bullyism, which if a fighter can cut down to that weight because of how the weigh-ins are currently constructed, then so be it. But we also would be complete fools to not think that the sport of boxing and its you know sister in MMA don't have an issue with performance enhancing drugs. I mean, go ahead. But, but, but I, I was going to say that's that's every sport ever created. Of course, of course. Yeah, the difference is when somebody hits a baseball 562,000 feet, as long as they don't hit somebody upside the head, nobody's going to die. You know, um, these fighters that, that, and when we talk about PDs again, I got allegedly, but it's, it's not anything with power. It's endurance. You know, it's giving more blood flow to these muscles to continue on. If you ever want to see a moment that kind of, you know, can give you that, that scope of what an amphetamine or a booster can do, take it back to 1983. Alexis Arguello versus Aaron Pryor. That's probably one of the 20 best fights of my lifetime that I was able to watch when, you know, ESPN used to have all the the super dope fights in a lot of outdoor venues or HBO had the fights in the outdoor venues. It's a great scene with the, at the Miami, uh, was it the old Miami Bowl? Yeah. The Panama Lewis. It was the reason why he was kicked out of the sport, ostracized and exiled. Because you could hear it in there, you know, in between rounds, you know, no, no, give me the other one, the one that I mixed. And allegedly it was mixed with um, water and Coke. So, oh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. So, like, 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 all right, like, 
let's take that same logic from Brett back then and like apply it now. Like, dude, like he put it in the black bottle. It, it was a black bottle, right? Yeah, with a white uh, white tape around it. <laughs> and it's like, like, like how he couldn't even try to sneak that around now. Like somebody would get that on the gram or on Facebook or, or on Snap and be like, dude was smuggling bottles in the corner with Coke in the cup. Like, Oh man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, again, it's it's all these things that if they at least, at least with the fight community, put it out there that it's something that they should at least consider finding a way to to make the sport more aware of its situations. The fighters know the risks that they're taking. Um, you know, the cornermen know in, in some way the risks that they're taking. The public thinks that they know the risks that the fighters are taking, but they don't because. They are the same fighters or the same people that if it's a fight where it's too tactical initially, what do they do? They start booing. Boo. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not the biggest fan of Demetrius Andrade's or Andrade, however you want to pronounce it. Um, I just say boo-boo. I think boo-boo is an extremely talented fighter. He's overly cautious, but I can understand why he says that because, like, he's brought up in a couple of quotes and I can't recall which site you know, he was most recently quoted about it, but he's essentially saying, like, you guys, when the cheers stop, you're not going to come to the hospital, come see me. Right. So I get it. You know, the fine line of being entertaining versus just being a stiff in there. So we're not knocking that. You know, Florida Taste doesn't do that. We respect the game. We just wish that the game knew how to better protect its fighters. And if, and this is a, one last piece, and then I'll, I'll pitch it back over to you as far as your thoughts on on this idea. In most state commissions, if a fighter gets sparked out, as they say overseas, you know, knocked out, most states they have a ninety day, you know, um, non combat window, non compete window. If it's ninety days, a commission, regardless of if they said ninety, you shouldn't be taking a contract or an acceptance of a fighter at day ninety five, you know, right. or, or if it's sixty days, day sixty three. Yeah, that's that's nasty. That's nasty because even though he may not have had a professional fight, again, well, we talked about a couple of minutes ago, these guys are in the gym sparring. You don't get better without practicing the techniques in the gym. And a lot of these guys that these incidents happen to, truth be told, they're not elite fighters. They're, they're guys either working their way up or they're club fighters. You know, it's very, very rare in this current era of these kind of high-impact injuries where it's an Adonis Stevenson, which we'll come back to him in a little bit before we move on to something more positive. You know what I mean? Like these are guys that are working like nine to five gigs where they're they're basically chief sparring partners for guys that have, you know, jumped on. So they're putting in hundreds of rounds outside of the lights. If you let them right. come right back into the ring on day sixty three of a sixty day suspension, they probably in real time probably take eight days off maybe of getting not getting hit upside the head so you're culpable but how do you but how do you combat that because just like people are pushing that line on the performance enhancers and you know like or like somebody else taking out the padding from their glove to give them a mental advantage to make them feel like he's really hurting people like trainers are always going to find an edge you know they always going to walk that line and if it's 60 they're going to be like 61 62 63 days like and even if it's not them, it's going to be the fighter. I think that, you know, certain commissions and certain games kind of got to be set up dirty like that, bro. Like, yeah, it's, it's a blood sport. It's call it like it is. Yeah, it, it so, is the hurt business, you know. Yeah. The biggest thing we want but, to make sure that we, we say on this here, too, 
and I'll pass it back to you just because I'll give my last pieces is the next time that you're watching a fight and not for the majority of our listeners, because although we have a diverse listening group in many of places and in many of countries, male and female, and we do have a good chunk of, of guys and gals that appreciate the fight game in some kind of way. The next time that you're watching a fight and you say the following term, this guy's a bum or a tomato can or, you know, he quit. Think about the gentleman that passed in the ring. Think about the Patrick Days, the Maxim Dadashevs. And I just say I say that because there's been some fights in the last couple of weeks since that incident happened where a fighter's, you know, manhood has essentially been called into question in a fight. I don't want to hop around too many different fights, so we'll make sure that we we wrap this particular fight card up because it's going to be real quick about Alexander Usyk, and then we'll continue on um, to talk about this whole quitting thing. But the next time that you guys are watching a fight, don't do that. Don't don't call a dude a bum. You know, don't call that guy a tomato can. Don't talk about that. You know, he took a dive or he quit. You have no idea. Even if you have just just sparring and taking a clean shot on the head or on the chin, or just being grinded on in in between combat, you know, fighting on the inside. It takes it takes a, a certain kind of person to do that because it's the only way they can survive and be able to provide. So, right. and, you know, all of us, when we were younger, you might have been guilty of that because you didn't know no better. But a conversation in a different way that we had before we got recording of the things that I can respect now being a 40-year-old male that my father or any other man went through versus when I was in my twenties. Like I, I understand what those men are as I get older. I understand the, the things that those men are going through and the ripple effect that they have because they're not going to walk through those doors to see their loved ones another day. So um, from for the taste, I definitely want to give my condolences to Patrick Day, to the boxing community, to his family, to his loved ones, to his friends, anybody that was in the arena that, you know, saw that incident because there are some some media folks that have posted certain things. A friend of the show, Michael Montero from Ring Magazine and Montero Unboxing, he was at the fight in Chicago and he was actually there early. So he was there the moment that day, you know, went unconscious and did some some interviewing and some, um, you know, quick hits about that incident there, too. You know, it, it seems like it's hit him a little bit as well. And a lot of the guys that are there. So anybody that was actually in the arena when that incident happened, uh, you know, just well wishes and condolences and just know that the fight game will continue on. But we all have to be more aware of what's going on in the fight game and, and start to be more uh, addressive of the concern that we know long term could make the sport where somebody thinks that we're doing the wrong thing when we make this beautiful thing get going in the ring. Amen to that. Uh, as far as um, any other points that you want to put on that? No, man. I, I honestly, I, I can't. I can't top what you said, and especially you speaking from, you know, firsthand experience. So, if I say rest in peace. Well, as far as on a positive on that same card, Evander Holyfield. When somebody says Evander Holyfield, most people only think about the gentleman that you know had a, a slept-on video game, one of probably the ten most slept-on video games of our era. That Evander Holyfield boxing. It was a dope-ass game on Sega Genesis. But uh, that's not the first thing people think of. No. But go ahead. No, no. They they probably think of, you know, 1997 when they saw him jump like four feet in the air when Mike yeah. Tyson 
took a chunk out of his ear at MGM Grand during their uh, second fight. Evander Holyfield had a whole career, you know, arguably being the greatest cruiserweight of all time. Some people will now say that, if anything, it's a 1A to Alexander Usyk because of his campaign through 2017 and 2018, unifying the cruiserweight division, basically going through the number two, number three, and number four fighters in the division, winning the World Boxing Super Series, the Ali Trophy, Fighter of the Year. In this era of trinkets and a lot of backdoor bullshit with politics, uh, to be able to accomplish that, you know, the most recent fighter to do it outside of him was Bud Crawford. And we know the challenges that he went through for that. Alexander went up to heavyweight where the bags are. Took his first step into that. Salute to, to your second cousin, Chaz Witherspoon, for taking the fight on four days notice off the couch and working at his car lot that he owns to take that fight. The only thing that I want to get in this wrap up of that fight is, is that you can't judge the fighter off of that one performance because it's his first performance there. And for anybody that thinks that, you know, he's too small of a guy, because I did see Tyson Fury, um, you know, kind of sizing him up at that um, at the fight last week with um, Gavolstick and Bitterbiev, kind of making it seem like he's too small. Let's remember this. The dude that probably has the hardest right hand in modern era of the sport, he typically only walks around at about 220 pounds. When we're talking about Deontay, to this day, Wilder. Yeah, but there's like several asterisks that go along with that point. I mean, Deontay Wilder is a deep-rooted, deep South country strength. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's he's not the same. That, that's all I'm trying to get at. De- Deontay Wilder is a heavyweight. Like, like, like I, 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 I see why they would be sizing. Uh, I can't, how you pronounce the name? Usyk. Usyk. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what most Americans say, Usyk. Yes, yes. Alexander Usyk. We'll just call them books, okay? So <laughs> I can see why he's sizing up books. But, uh, yeah, but no, um, but Wilder, Wilder can get away with that, man. Here's the, uh, the fun thing about this but, too. But I, I wanted oh, to, I wanted to, I wanted to touch on one more thing too, hmm. to kind of take it back because you're the one who brought it up. I think that Evander Holyfield was the first person to actually beat up Mike Tyson. I don't count Buster Douglas what happened down there. I count that as somebody hitting the court after they did a, a long night of uh, drinking and blow. Yeah, like, two week <laughs> coke binge in, in the massage parlors of Tokyo, and that's not conjured up of you know rumors. That's with direct information of, of his facts. travels. Yeah, of his travels. When when Mike was over there, Mike <laughs> over there, <laughs> knocking right. them down, knocking them buildings down over there. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't count that. I, mean, I think, I think Evander Holyfield was the first one to actually beat up Mike Tyson the first go round. You just like, ooh, <laughs> Tyson getting worked over. So. Yeah, that was, that was my other uh, slight sidetrack to that one. Yeah, no, fair point, fair point. The big thing when any time a, a fighter moves up in weight, regardless if it's at a 140 to 147 or more drastically when a, a fighter goes from cruise weight to heavyweight is the power carrying and can they take the, the punch, the dexterity of their chin. Chaz Witherspoon did not test Oleganda Usyk's chin. One of the interesting rules of the one of the belts that he held at cruiserweight with the world boxing organization is if you are a champion at another weight class and you decide to move up or down 
you can basically put on the books that you want to designate yourself as being a mandatory. So he is a mandatory for the fight that's going on over there in Saudi Arabia with Anthony Joshua and Andy. I'm living the dream eating sushi off of naked women and buying new houses and all white suits, but looking clean and training right now. I ain't going to knock them. Ruiz Jr. The likelihood of, of either one of them fighters fighting Usyk is about zero and none because they can basically run it back one more time, especially if AJ wins and make money off of each other and just let that trinket go. But just the fact that I will give the man credit of at least daring to be great or daring to get paid either way uh, right right but yeah in the heavyweight division man it you can be as skillful and be you know great on your feet great angles great movement you ain't never gonna say that about deontay wilder but what you will say is is that boy can crack so right you know that's right. the, that's the difference the equalizer in the heavyweight division is just a little bit different so uh, we look forward to trying to see you know welcome alexander usik to the heavyweight division hopefully it makes it more cracking because we went about a decade where the heavyweight division was no knock on vladimir klitschko but it was klitschko so it's good to see like more of a round robin and seeing people get knocked upside their head um but coming back home safe to their friends and family like let's make sure we get that out the out the way most definitely well and, and and also like on that note it feels a lot more comforting knowing that the heavy heavyweight division is back popping so that we don't have to gas up these uh overrated midweight fighters and mm, mm, mm. you know what I'm, you, you kind of know what i'm getting at what mm, i'm leaning mm, towards mm -hmm. people who are coveted for having certain styles and don't fight those styles and then have all this boxing intelligence, but yet are gifted decisions. I mean, certain fighters that just because of the history of their country and that, you know, Spaniards and, and Europeans traveled to their country and, you know, commingled their bloodlines to where now somebody that's very ethnic might have, let's just say, a, a different color hairstyle. Uh, is those kind of like what you're kind of getting at? Um, some might be, even say a cinnamon kind of hairstyle. I, I don't know. I, I'm just, just. Well, <laughs> that, that, that's a long the right token, mm -hmm. but it's, it's slightly to the right of it because um, I'm actually aiming more towards Oh, come on, Max. He was a good opponent. And, and and that would be one Triple G who I feel lost his last fight and looked terrible in doing it. So You know, and that's, again, during our hiatus, we, we honestly, bro, we missed a lot of, of good, you know, the fight game, uh, fight season's back on. So let's actually, let's get to that conversation because there's, there's some layers that are going to be to that Triple G, um, Derevianchenko fight. So... Sergey Devinchenko versus Triple G. That one was at Madison Square Garden. I ended up looking at that fight and I watched it. All times I came with the same effect. 6-6 six, six with the knockdown. So 114-113 to be able to give Gennady the lift. The thing that I'll end up saying before anything else is regardless if we joke around about Canelo Alvarez, the De Niro team or not, we haven't seen it yet and we may not see it when he fights Sergey Kovalev here in a couple weeks. But you can see age and those two fights however you scored him with Canelo took something off of Gennady and compound that with he seems like he's a good dude he, he seems like he probably would be great to have as a spade partner you know if you wanted to go see some some Earl Klug or something he'd probably be cool to hang with but Jonathan Banks that ain't it bro that ain't it but 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 G wants somebody and here's where it's back on the fighter 
he wanted some he basically regardless of what you might say about abel sanchez and his tactics and his techniques he got rid of abel essentially off of money because g got a bigger bag from the zone and the splits were going to be different and because they couldn't come to an understanding he let abel go abel right Abel is, you can never say that a fighter was made because of a trainer, but Abel Sanchez helped bring Gennady not only to the forefront, but he actually gave him a style that was going to be culpable and and palatable to the fight game media in America. And I'm not going to knock right, G for me, how he got me, to, me, to the let country. Me, let, me, let, me, let me jump into that point because I think that you can say that a fighter was made because, because of a trainer. I think that, I think that, Emmanuel Stewart with Tommy the Hitman Hearns. I think that Freddie Roach with Manny Pacquiao. And I think Triple G with Abel Sanchez. I, I think that those three fighters, like you take the good trainers away, they're just they're 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 club fighters. They're bar fighters. But go ahead. I would not call them club fighters out of those three. But I can see your point about them being able to see the strengths in their skill set and amplifying those and hiding some of the, the negatives. All three of those fighters have different situations. The biggest thing about the G and Daria Chaco fight is, is just because you're getting a bigger bag, you almost messed up your bag because of you being selfish. There's some things right. that, that G needs to, to address. because The Jonathan Banks don't know how to teach. Well, that, yeah, that's a big addressing thing right there. Uh, here's something else, too. We've heard it in different ways over the years. Probably the greatest quote about it is the, the great one from Marvelous Marvin Hagler that said, you know, it's tough to go run five miles when you're waking up in silk pajamas. Triple G finally got his bag, you know, and that's right there. All the he may be just looking at the big double bird like, all right, I'm going to do what's necessary, but it, it ain't it. When you're starting to set up equity stakes in the platform that you're fighting with, your promotional teams. And let's be honest, like when Floyd Mayweather was setting up Mayweather promotions, it was basically just him trying to find a, a money shield, um, a taxing right. haven. Um, G is actually in like the last fight that he took with this fight with Darianchenko, it was published and, and it was confirmed by multiple sources that were within the constructs of the fight. G's $15 million-ish purse was basically a 50-50 split of cash and then equity in the zone. It, yeah. It's a wise business move. Obviously, I'm not knocking it for that because you can't fight forever. But if you're doing that right now, where's your mind at? Because you can say whatever you want to say about Canelo. Canelo, yeah, his, his guarantees are a little bit higher, but nowhere have you heard him talking about getting equity in the company or setting up his promotional company with another lever because he's got his Canelo promotion but again he's using that as a laundromat let's just call it what it is you know so when a fighter is halfway out you're halfway out like and this is one of those sports with a lot of sports you can't be halfway out halfway in and you know we've, we've already saw the apex of that of that fighter and the triple g that people got the groundswell off of and and the, i don't know max and the, the mexican style and all that the prime apex of that fighter is gone and now the prime apex with the prime bags of money it's hitting to the other side the finesse is about to start happening and at this point even if I felt like G got the first fight against Canelo and then you could push for the draw or give Canelo the second fight, I don't want to see a third fight for a couple of reasons. I don't see it being competitive, and we already know unless they take it out of Vegas, Canelo's going to be up in the cards. And truth be told, if it's anywhere above 160 pounds, because I don't really believe Canelo's going to be able to get all the way back down to 160 after this Kovalev fight, 
it's not going to be competitive. But if I'm Canelo, I don't even come back down. I stay up there and call out Andre Ward. You think Andre Ward can still make 175 pounds, though? Yeah. Well, he says he dude, walks around about like 195 right now. No, Andre Andre Ward did the he did the uh, Floyd Mayweather. He took a couple years off, but stayed in shape. He he gonna come back. Yep. Yeah, in let's let's do the hop around then, um, because of the Canelo uh, Sergey Kovalev fight that is coming up November the 2nd, a fight that just happened this past Friday, and I don't know if you got a chance to catch it because we haven't talked since then, but it was a hell of a scrap out of uh, Philadelphia. Very rare that we get unified, you know, unification fights in the current constructs of the fight game. And now Artur Bitebiev, or Artur Bitebiev, however you want to pronounce it, the mauling bear that's from the same country as Khabib, came through a grueling, rugged fight and looked it looked impressive against Alexander Gavolstik, the nail, who's trained by your second favorite trainer, Teddy Atlas, the fireman. It was a hell of a fight, though. He now takes, I'd say, the number one space at light heavyweight. Speaking of light heavyweight, because that's where Canelo is, quote, daring to be great, fighting Sergey Kovalev. I don't see him taking on a fight with a real 175-pounder. Canelo Alvarez is basically about to reset what he was doing between 155, I'm sorry, 154 and 160 pounds, he's going to have some Canelo weight fights. So, yeah, it is conceivable that he wins this title and does a Canelo catch weight with Andre Ward somewhere around 175, or he fights it 164 and just basically starts dancing around and getting whoever he wants to get. He's the money man in the game, so he can get away with it for a while. Yeah, but like I, like I said before, I still haven't seen a Canelo moment. Uh, I haven't seen him be great yet. And, and that is the amazing thing is because when people tell you how great he is, and we're not saying that he's not a great fighter, it's, yeah, he doesn't have I am. <laughs> he doesn't have that signature win. I mean, he's got wins on his resume that are good wins. I can look to a Shane Mosey. Like, we can say certain names. You can basically say his signature win where you knew it was like a dominant, amazing win. Oscar right. De La Hoya, I'll throw it to you. And I'm not going to mm-hmm. knock anything about Oscar's, you know, sexual allegations. One, we don't have the retainer on Decky right now. And two, Oscar's got some demons, just point blank period. So it, to, to bash the man right now, that, that'd be disrespectful. You know, a Pernell Whitaker, Floyd Mayweather, a Miguel Cotto. Yeah, you could say it with Ricky. Like, there's there's a bevy of guys. Like, you, regardless if you think that they're extremely like Hall of Fame level or not, but you know their great fight, the one that that came through with a fighter that was just of their same skill set, where they showed a class above, even when people thought it was a 50-50 fight. And any of the 50-50 fights we've talked about it on previous ep- episodes is Canelo doesn't dominate them; he gets them, and there's a big difference. Yeah. The likelihood and he lost one. Yeah, the likelihood is. He's going to, I don't see him stopping Kovalev. He's going to get this one. See, honestly, I'm leaning the other way, and I'm thinking Kovalev is going to knock him out. I need to hear this one. We'll go ahead and get this preview out the way early then. I just, the thing is, Canelo going to have to find his way inside to get to that body like he want to get to. Kovalev has strong, long punches. His jab is strong. His straight right hand is strong. And I just, I haven't seen Canelo get hit, like, with true thudding power. But I did see Floyd Mayweather stop him from coming forward, like, and control him. And I think that, I think that an equalizer that Canelo hasn't seen in the ring is that power, like, not that triple G power where you could, like, 
hit, but still getting hit inside because he throws those like looping shots. Kovalev throws them, throw them straight shots, and he's not going to be able to muscle him around because he's fighting a naturally bigger man. I'm, I'm telling you, it's it's early, but right now I feel like Kovalev going to stop him. Well, you are on the record, obviously, and if it ends up going that way, we'll make sure that we timestamp this particular conversation on For the Taste. That way people know uh, that you went ahead and threw that out there, that Crush is going to come through. But let's just go back to the initial reason why we got to this topic about the light heavyweight division and then Andre Ward. Let's just say that Canelo comes through. Can you see Canelo Alvarez fighting an Artur Bibiev or a Dimitri Bivol? If anybody, I could see him fighting a Bivol because Dimitri Bivol has made it a few times one of the other titles in the division because we know we're going to the weeds a little bit. He said many a times that he is probably a more natural super middleweight, but the opportunity to win a title and to get in his lane was at light heavyweight. But can you really see Canelo staying up there? I can't. I can see him dropping back down to a different weight or again doing Canelo weights and basically creating whatever storylines he wants because at that point he's already won, quote, four titles. His legacy and all that other nonsense has already been set. Another way to tap dance around, he's truly taken the blueprint of the dude that resides here in Las Vegas and found his own way to kind of cultivate it, and I can see him doing that. You be hating on Floyd something terrible. I'm not hating on Floyd. Floyd just gave a whole bunch of uh, quality donations to the city. I'm saying the man is TBE because of the way that he cultivated the game. Nothing else. And Canelo's about to do the same finesse. Find ways to not take on any real risk. And as a businessman, you can't really knock him for that. Find the biggest bags with the least amount of risk. But don't sit there and piss on me and make it seem like that it ain't raining. But like right now. Canelo can fight Andre, right? But he don't want to. And then because of the WBC creating this whatever, what franchise nonsense, franchise boys champion, and then giving the belt to your second nephew, Jamel Charlo, it took away his mandatory. So he has no mandatory options to have to fight anybody. Yeah. Right. And then you and then you couple that with the fact that he has all these catchweight fights, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then he has no no weight restriction on the back end. Okay, then they give him the made-up belt like you just talked about. Like, dude will always choose the path of least resistance. True. He is not a great fighter. You know, that that story for him is going to still be out there. I, I still need to see a few more things before you can really start to even, even me personally, put him into the pantheon of the best Mexican fighters because I'm a little bit older, and I know that you have now become a great student of the game. There's a few other ones especially in the lighter weight classes that I would give way more credit to. Hell, if, and this is a a big if, but let's just say that Andy Ruiz holds on to these straps for a couple of defenses, that immediately, in my mind, trumps over anything that Canelo could do in his current because you can't tiptoe through what he had to tiptoe through. You know what I mean? Like, it'll, the, the weight, the levers of his achievements. And, you know, there's been a lot of middleweight champions or there's been a couple of middleweight champions that have been of Mexican descent. There's been a couple of middleweight champions of junior middleweight descent. I mean, he's the first if you want to give him that credit of that bammer ass title he got in December at super middleweight. There's only been one Mexican heavyweight champion. Right. You know I mean? Right. And, and there's only one heavyweight division. Like, yeah. It's not well, <laughs> super duper heavyweight. Like, no. What, what's the weight limit on it? Like, 200 or well the minimum yeah, yeah. you got to be at minimum 201 pounds yeah 
Yeah. Right. All right. So let's make sure we we swing through a couple more other a couple other topics here because we we got a few things we want to make sure that we get off for this episode. Um, there is a fight going on. A couple fights is going on this weekend, but one I care more about than the other. And that's no knock on Shakur Stevenson versus Joette Gonzalez. That's going on in my home state up north in Reno for a belt that Oscar Valdez stepped away from when he went up in weight. But the fight that I have more interest in, again, it's unification. It's one and two in a division. It's in a division that the last man that was there was truly the man in Terrence Bud Crawford. Arguably one or two top fighter in the game pound for pound. Um, if you put those lists together, the junior welterweight division, or as you call it, the super duper um, welterweight division. But the 140 division, it, it still has a couple of people in play. Uh, Jose Ramirez, based out of Fresno, California. He had a hell of a fight a couple months ago, unifying a piece of that crown with Maurice Hooker in an excellent scrap that happened in Dallas, Texas. Uh, two other pieces of that division are going to come together in London, England with Josh Taylor versus Regis Progre or Rougarou. It's an interesting mix-up of fights, um, fighting styles, both southpaws. Um, and it's going to be, some people say it's on free TV, but it's on a TV service. You don't have to pay pay-per-view unless you're in the UK. Sucks for you guys. Um, it'll be on zone. Your thoughts as far as Regis Prograde and Josh Taylor, and then more importantly, the importance of unifying divisions to get the boxing mainstream, more people paying attention to it, you know, um, outside of the traditional medias. Well, I like, I like Pro, Pro Jaray. How do you pronounce his name? Every time I see it, I can't say it. Uh, Pro Gray, just, just call him Regis. I call him King of the Light Skins. How about that? All right. what Whatever. You got it. You got it. No, I've seen him. I've seen him a couple of times and he can, I, I like his style. And as far as like unifying the division, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it to the simplest terms. I bring it back to fight night, and I would try to u- unify the division and then move up and wait. That's that's truly the way to do it. It lets you know that you're the best one out there, in in, in my opinion. And then you could just say, hey, you know what? I dominated 140. Now it's time to go up to 147. Yeah. You know, uh, that's that's the best way to do it. And um, cause cause that was the other thing that I had to say, like uh. I don't mean to keep going back, but it's like with a uh, with a Canelo or with any any great fighter, it's like you should always want to fight the best opponent out there. And and I think that unifying a division is it's the only way to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, uh, that dude might be better than the champ, but I just beat the champ. Yeah. Now he can come fight me. You know. And and that's what actually helped out Bud's platform and in his profile. You know. People considered Bud to be an excellent fighter, obviously, from his exploits at 135. He got a lot of credit at 140. He may not have had, you know, top 20 pound for pound list fighters that he went through, but he went through the division and basically made it to where, yeah, I may not have anybody that you might think is the best, but nobody down here is doing shit with me. Right. So I'm going to come up now. I've done everything I can here now, so nobody can say that I didn't. You know, I didn't get protected or I was trying to hide in a division. No, I clean this up. I'm going to come up here for you and I'm going to try to do the same. So you, you've got to be able to respect that. And, and more than likely, if it's Regis Prograde comes through with the victory, who I am leaning over Josh Taylor, if Regis comes through with the victory, the likelihood is that they will try to make a fight with Jose Ramirez for all the marbles um, at 140. And it'll be with good timing because 
if we talk about the conversation, which I'd want to get to before we finish out with the episode, Bud doesn't have a lot of options at 147. He's finally, you know, the news finally came out that he's going to make his mandatory defense against Igas Kavalishkas, the mean machine, December 14th at Madison Square Garden. I'm sorry, December 12th at Madison Square Garden um, after the Heisman presentation. But then after that, you know, Bud's going to need a, a dance partner that's going to be worth a damn. And with Earl Spence, and all jokes aside, you know, well wishes and thoughts that he comes back with a speedy recovery. But yeah, let me let me finish this this point up here now, and then we gonna we gonna Swirl hit that we gonna Spence. hit that conversation. <laughs> we gonna hit that conversation. We gonna wrap this joint up with a, a outgoing message. There's not a lot of work for Bud at 147. So whoever comes through this fight with Pro Gray and Josh Taylor. And then let's say they both, you know, um, you do a co-feature fight with Ramirez and the winner of Taylor Progray on the same card. And then they fight and they get some kind of unification. That's it. Time for them to go up again. At least you get somebody for Bud. And because the other side of the street, the best thing that could have happened to the division is that the belts are probably going to be in a standstill right now. But the worst thing that could happen is that we're probably not going to ever see the fights that we wanted to see peak for peak with an Earl Spence and, and a Bud Crawford. I don't care what nobody says. You get ejected at a high rate of speed from a pretty little, you know, Lambo. And yeah, they say worst thing or best case was he didn't break anything, but you land face first and lose your gangster grill. There's, we don't know the receipts of the neurological effects, the mental effects, um, mental, mental, mental effects. When he's tweeting, I'm a savage. Yeah. 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 You don't know how that's going to shake itself out. You say Slurl Smith. Slurl Smith. Slurl Smith Jr. And he we, earned his nickname. And we don't want to sit there and, again, bash on the young man because you just – we we both had history and just know that there's – you don't want to sit there and point a finger in that particular way. But we had talked about it on previous episodes of our podcast that you've seen press conferences and, and videos where Earl looked firecracker in the sky lit. Mm-hmm. And then even the post, the day or the night of when he had his incident, he was at a nightclub in Dallas and looked lit on the Instagram story. And now, of course, it's been washed off of his Instagram stories, but he was out on the sauce. And, right. uh, you know, obviously his the, the neglect of the family and, and not being there for his family, that's you just you're glad that his daughters are going to be able to wake up to to seeing him. But when it comes to him professionally, ain't no guarantee he comes back through on the other side. You know, the same fighter. I mean, hell, if you ain't got no teeth and now they got to put fake teeth in, that means that you probably have some kind of jaw issue. Jaw, you bite down on that bit. It might not be the same. Taking a shot now, it either he flying out of that car either made him the bionic man or it could have fragile his chin because I don't think that they put any metal in because they said there wasn't any major issues with his chin. But again, all this is still hearsay because it's been a week removed now and you haven't seen a picture of him with the thumbs up or just anything, you know, a quick 30-second video. I appreciate what's going on. Just, just the big thing is that the welterweight division is now in flux and it's going to basically spread it out to where there might be an opportunity for Bud to get some work across the street, as they say. But it's not going to be the fight that we want. Honestly, we may not actually catch that fight at the real value that we were supposed to get. I don't want to see that fight now because it's a built-in excuse, <clears throat> and I don't want to see the uh, I don't want to see the Bud Crawford versus Sean Porter fight because that's just going to be an ugly fight. Well, I mean, 
we're going to end up having a lot of time to be able to go through some of these matchups as they come together. We got through some of the last couple of weeks because we've been trying to just get as much content in from during our, our time away from the podcast and, and our continuous listeners that we've you know been able to go on this journey with before the taste. As we wrap up this week's episode, we want to make sure we let our group of valuable listeners across the globe that have listened to us diligently and appreciatively. Uh, we are uh, through Hot 7025 FM and through the Mixler app, the 20 plus countries, um, the thousand plus you know weekly listeners. We appreciate you guys, and we want to make sure that you guys continue to listen to us during this transition and this change. You know, they say that all good things come to an end. I don't want to say this been an end. All the good things come to a transition. You know, we do this podcast out of the love of the game, um, the love and appreciation that we have just for anybody that's a creator that's willing to go out there and put themselves out there. And we do this because it's, in our ways, our therapy to be able to talk about the things we would normally talk about on the phone and that some people just don't get to hear. And occasionally people actually like to listen to it, it seems like. Uh, But we also have things that we have to do in life between being fathers and professionals and coaches and mentors and and everything else. We've had to reevaluate how we can put the podcast out. And with that, we will be transitioning to a new platform, which we'll be announcing soon through the For the Taste app um, or For the Taste IG page and through the For the Taste YouTube page and with our Twitter page, which is at taste underscore show as taste underscore show. That's the only one that's different of where we're going to transition the, the show to. I'm definitely excited about where we're going to put this project. I'm greatly appreciative of our journey on Hot 7025 FM because E and their team over there gave us an opportunity when we didn't know what the opportunity was. And because of that, we now have this platform of people that are continuously listening to our message and are looking forward and willing to see where we take this project. I just want to say thank you to all the listeners through this application and through that station. And the hope is and the goal is that you guys continue to listen to us because we're going to take this project and move it to a different space. But it doesn't mean that we're going to change who we are. We're actually going to make the show and the experience better along the way. Yeah. Bino, what you got, man? I just want to say thanks for the opportunity. And uh, I'm looking forward to what we got in store down the road, my man. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. You know, I guess we we did start off where I said we want to start with something more on the somber and finish with something positive. I think we did that, even with us saying that we're we're stepping away from the platform that we're currently on, but we're about to make a move to something else. With that, man, I guess we're putting a bow on this one here. To all the folks that have helped us put this project together, our family members, our loved ones, our our significant others, our mothers that you know put up with us not making it to a a lunch or something because we were trying to get a recording in. I thank y'all. Thank y'all. Thank everybody that listens and continue to listen to For The Taste Show. Make sure that you follow us more importantly now. Follow us at For The Taste Show, at Mr. Duncan 4, at BK Norris 13, and continue to support Hot 7025 FM. You know, E goes back through through many a years, um, you know, chaparral pride all day, but it's just something that we have to end the transition to do. So on our final send off, for the time being, as far as we know, from Hot 7025 FM, but to the future of the For the Taste platform. For Bino, CJ, we truly appreciate y'all. Culture convos are coming back. Be on the lookout for how we're going to put this out here to you. So it'll probably be an announcement within the next 7 to 10 days. But you guys are going to see it until that next time when we come back to you. Y'all be good. We out. Yep.
Peace.